right, Left Brained, episode 5, the Dog Crate Sessions, which is just to say that we have been crating Veda all week, she has been caged heat, she is furious, she is angry, she will bark, likely a lot, unless she is busy eating, which she also is doing a lot of. Um, Going to do a recommendation, like we do every week, uh, when I say we, I really just mean me, Moose has essentially dropped out of the project full time. Uh, that recommendation is going to be the first half of the new Moses Sumney album, Gray, or uh, Grach, as it might be pronounced. I'm not sure. It's got one of those A-N-E combo letters, like the infamous film Aeon Flux or the second Tool album, Anima. So I'm not really sure how you say it. I think it's just Gray. Uh, either way, the album is fucking great. Um, half of it is out now on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, all those streaming services. There's a second disc being released in May, which is when I believe physical copies will be out. Uh, great singer-songwriter, using a lot of the folk elements he did on Aromanticism, but also bringing in a lot more funk, R&B, jazz-type stuff. Um, just really good, fun to listen to. Um, a lot going on there, and it's all excellent. Um, so, last time we talked about Medicare for All. Um, we're going to lighten things up by talking about post-traumatic stress disorder this time. Specifically, the movie The Lodge. Um, that movie is out now. It just expanded down here to Wilmington and larger cities. It's probably been playing for a little bit. Uh, do a little bit of a synopsis before we get into kind of what makes this movie interesting. And as a movie that I walked out of not that impressed by, it was kind of like, eh, you know, okay, stylish, well-directed horror movie. Uh, not a lot going on cerebrally. But the more it sat with me, the more I thought about it. Um, the more I realized that there might be more going on in this movie than I had initially given it credit for, and one particular interpretation of the events of the film that I find deeply troubling. And so whether or not those are what the director intended, I'm going uh, full post-structuralist reader-response theory to saying that's what the movie was so that I can get the reading I want out of the movie, which I think makes it better. Uh, so this is a little bit of a setup. Lodge is a movie, uh, stars Riley... Keo, or Ko, or Key, I don't know how to say her last name, K-E-O-U-G-H, I don't know, Riley, if I ever meet you, if you ever listen to this, my sincere apologies, you have a stupid last name. Um, she is the new girlfriend, um, and kind of replacing the mother figure for a sort of, you know, we'll say tuned out dad, who's got to work too much, and two kids who are very resentful of her because they feel like she's replacing their mother. Uh, we learned, this is not a spoiler, at the beginning of the movie, the children's maternal mother um, commits suicide after learning that her ex-husband plans on marrying uh, Riley Keough's character. His name is Grace. Uh, we also learned that Grace grew up in a cult, that her boyfriend studies and writes books on cults, and her experience uh, was kind of in a Christian death cult, very sort of Heaven's Gate seems to be what I've read it was lifted off of. Um, she is the only survivor of a mass suicide and thus has a lot of trauma buried in her past. Uh, the two children now have a fresh trauma of their mother's suicide um, in their immediate past. And so because all of these people hate each other, they are, of course, put in a small wood cabin together or wood lodge. It's kind of like a nice house out in the middle of nowhere in the snow. Uh, the father goes out of town to go back to work and things gradually grow more and more tense between Grace and the children, uh, one of whom is played by the kid who played Bill Denbro, young Bill Denbro, and um, It. Uh, the other one is just played by a girl whose name I'm too lazy to Google. 
Um, and so as things kind of progress in the film, you're not really sure how much of this is the characters playing maybe tricks on each other or the characters um, trying to pull one over on each other or how much is really potentially something supernatural. And so if you have not seen the film, this is where we're going to start talking about spoilers. So I also think the movie might make... I, I would argue the movie is better if you have a little bit of a spoilery idea of what's going on inside it. So you get an idea of what to maybe prepare for because this is not a jump out and scare you movie. Uh, it's not, you know, the Shining, Snowden movie. It's it's not one of those. It's very much kind of a tonal uh, descent into just being deeply unsettled. And so now that, now that the spoiler warning is off, basically there's a couple key events in the movie that set things kind of from level five tension of this new woman is dating our father. We don't like her. And these kids are creeping me out to level 10 of, Oh shit, something else really bad might be going on. And it starts when the characters fall asleep watching uh, a movie, the thing of all movies on TV. I'm not sure what, uh, new girlfriend has their, their boyfriend's teen children watch that movie. But um, kudos to Grace. That that is a fucking awesome movie to make your kid make these kids who hate you watch. Um, and when they wake up the next morning, all of their possessions, everything they've had in the house is gone. All the food, silverware, and most importantly, um, a doll that the daughter is very attached to, and Grace's PTSD pills. We don't really know exactly. <laughs> so um, Veda gets uh, triggered by PTSD. Sorry about that. Um, so we don't know exactly what her pills are. It's not really explained. We just know they help her deal with the trauma in her past, which, again, was her father was kind of the leader of a Christian death cult. They committed a group suicide and repentance to meet God. She was supposed to film this act and, you know, relay their message to the world. This has obviously given her all sorts of emotional scarring and trauma to deal with the rest of her lives, uh, or her life, rather. And what's interesting about that is that it plays with the same way the two children are dealing with their mother's suicide, and that all of this trauma is filtered through the lens of religion. Uh, for Grace, religion was a destructive force that, you know, drove her father crazy and led to a lot of death. For the children, one of the first things we hear after their mother commits suicide is that religion is terrifying to them and that they're both worried that their mom is in hell for taking her own life, which is a fairly standard Christian belief, depending on what um, denomination or dogma you follow. I'm not sure if it's the official Catholic line anymore. I knew when I grew up that was what I thought the official Catholic line was. Um, so Catholics listening, I, I assume in the millions, apologies if I get this right or wrong, but it is a fairly common belief in Christianity that if you take your own life, you may automatically be sent to hell for rejecting God's gift of life. Um, and so as they wake up, things are stolen. Grace blames the children for playing a trick on her. The children are trying to convince her something really nefarious is going on, and they don't have heat. There's no power. They're snowed in. It's a terrible storm. Their cell phones are all dead. They can't contact their father. Um, they have no food. So the situation very quickly grows dire. Um, and because Grace no longer has access to her medication, uh, and a little bit of a throwback to our Medicare for All episode, she starts having some real trouble differentiating uh, reality from fiction and starts wondering if this is perhaps a test from God, something that the two children begin to believe and say as well, thinking that they all actually maybe died 
from sitting too close to a gas heater that maybe ventilated toxic fumes towards them, carbon monoxide, and that they're actually in purgatory right now waiting for repentance. Now, this is an interesting enough setup, and the really bleak landscape of the film is a lot of just like cold whites, grays, not a lot of bright colors. Everything is very muted, very subtle. The shots are very well constructed. Um, it's Again, it's not a pop-out-at-you movie. It's not a lot of flashy camera work movie. It is very, very formal in its presentation, and that really helps us dig into that kind of isolation and insecurity that these characters are going through. The dog is now sneezing on the ground. Um, and so one of the things that's so interesting is as these characters descend into this kind of are we actually dead or are we alive is that it makes their traumatic experiences, they have to almost perform them in a way. Um, and that's one of the really interesting things about movies that deal with trauma and mental health and mental illness and the scars left by issues in the past that affect the mind today. Um, it's one of the things I was hoping to talk about with Horse Girl if that movie didn't suck, uh, but it did. Reminder, Horse Girl, you suck. Um, these characters are slowly forced to reconcile with their trauma in a very real, physical way. Uh, Grace starts seeing shadows that might look like her father. She begins hearing things that might be her father's last sermon. The children start seeing things, playing with dolls that maybe remind them of their mother. Um, the, the, the trauma is physically expressed. The mental, the mental health issue is physically manifested in the sense that, um, and it's such a tricky thing to do with mental health because it, it, it's something you can't see, right? It either has to be performed as a physical trait, you know, depression, anxiety, as a performance, which could often feel kind of ticky and showy and stupid and kind of way over the top. Or, and horror opens the door for this, um, shown in a way of physical manifestation of something horribly wrong with, of something that you feel is horribly wrong with you or warped within yourself. A great example of this is Ari Aster's film, uh, Hereditary, where the fear of kind of genetic mental illness is also kind of viewed through this, um, viewed through the kind of lens of what if not just, what if I'm not, what if I'm crazy because my parents are crazy, but also what if I'm a demon because my parents are involved with demons? Um, and so horror lets you kind of take these out, tease them out to their, to absurd ends to show kind of what uh, trauma really feels like. And so even though we know, well, we hope we know that, you know, God King Paimon is not real at the end of Hereditary, we understand that that is a stand-in for the son feeling like, oh my God, everything I worried about with my family history is real. Um, and so also now that I've spoiled Hereditary for you, sorry, go fuck yourself. Um, and so in The Lodge we see this, but in a much less kind of overt way than her in Hereditary. It's kind of creeping into the silent spaces. It's kind of exchanged in glances. It's exchanged in long walks through the snow, um, the way the wind sounds, the way the house is lit. This kind of ever feeling of being just more and more claustrophobic and alone with your trauma. You know, the, the film seems to shrink around Grace while her father's voice gets louder. And um, so there's, there's two twists towards the end of this movie that initially I thought kind of undid it, and now I'm thinking that there's something I missed and that I've now remembered about the film that maybe means it didn't really undo it the way I thought it was. The first is that the kids try to prove to Grace that they are in purgatory um, when the son hangs himself and doesn't die and is able to talk and say, look, I would have died, right? But I can't die. I'm already dead. 
And that kind of marks Grace's last ultimate break with um with the rational, with the rational world. And she's that all in on we're in purgatory. We are dead. We have to repent. She goes back to the kind of the habits her father had instilled in her. She's kneeling on hot coals and hot wood. Um, she's, you know, leaving herself out in the cold, almost intentional acts of self-harm, things like that. Um, but shortly after that, we also realize the children have actually staged this entire event. They're the ones who took everything. They're the ones who are trying to convince Grace is crazy. They took Grace's pills. Um, and they've been trying to do this to drive Grace over the edge to make her look insane because they think they're blaming her for killing their mother. And ostensibly, if their mother is in hell, they believe it is her fault. Um, so at first I was a little disappointed by that turn. I thought it was kind of an easy way out. I actually thought a movie where the characters were dead all along, but they were actually having conversations about being dead all along and wondering what that meant is a nice little twist on that ending of, oh, surprise, it's the others. They were already dead. Um, and so I felt a little let down by that. But the more I thought about it, because as it goes on, the kids try to tell Grace, you know, this isn't the case. We're, we're, we're really all alive. This was all a setup. We were, we were fucking with you. Sorry about it. Um, which, again, harsh, harsh prank. Um, Grace does not believe them. And at the end of the movie, we, it is implied, kills them to save them from God's, to, to rather preserve them f- for heaven by taking their sinful life away and giving, delivering them unto God. Um, and so that seems fairly straightforward, especially because towards the end of the movie, the father does come back to the lodge, um, confronts Grace, and Grace shoots him, believing that he's not real, believing that he's a test from God in purgatory. And initially this is just, okay, she's gone completely over the edge, she's killed this guy, um, she's killed the, you know, the guy she's dating, the father of these children in front of them, and she's seated him at the table, she's about to kill the other two. Um, this is just her having been pushed too far, somebody not knowing the depths of somebody else's trauma, and essentially um, triggering them into insanity, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, so re- read that way, the movie is kind of just don't play pranks on people because you don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what other people's trauma are is, even if your trauma is terrible. And you don't know what's going to make somebody else, you know, maybe lose touch. Um, and so in, a, in, in that sense, it's kind of a, you know, not preachy. It's still very bleak. It doesn't, you know, have a happy ending. It's very well made, but it's kind of meh, um, you know, almost like a, a movie that takes an hour and 48 minutes to tell you that, you know, don't trigger people. Not that I'm pro-triggering. However, there is a scene I remembered that I've made me reconsider the ending of this movie. And that scene is that when the father comes home, to the lodge to rescue the kids and Grace. She has a pistol that um, they keep in the lodge for protection, I guess from animals or intruders. I don't know what kind of, like it's like a western six-shooter almost. I don't know what that's going to stop out in the wilderness. Maybe maybe another human being. Maybe. I don't know. But um, to prove that they're in purgatory, because she doesn't know that the son didn't really hang himself, Grace aims the gun at her head, fires, and it doesn't shoot. It either locks up or something, but it doesn't go off. And earlier in the gun, we know that she's an earlier in the movie, rather, we know that she's an expert marksman. Um, she then turns the gun on the boyfriend, shoots and kills him, terrifies the children, kidnaps them, and we're led to believe at the end of the movie, given that the last shot is them all seated at the table with the gun on the table in the middle. That you know, according to the Chekhov rule, that gun is going to go off. They are all going to die. Um, but it's never explained why the gun doesn't go off, and I think. 
that that is a really interesting window into maybe taking this movie into a different reading where whether or not what's going on with the children and the husband is real at all, whether we are solely experiencing grace literally either in the full throes of a psychotic break to where nothing we're seeing is real. It's all happening in her mind. We're only seeing how she's observing reality to the point where maybe she didn't actually pull the trigger. Maybe she just thinks she did. Maybe everything, every shot that are just the kids is just in her imagination or my preferred reading of this film and the one that I will continue to believe in, which is that Grace actually did die um, due to gas inhalation. And this actually is a test for her in purgatory and God wants her to kill those children because he wants her to prove that she's worthy. Um, and so when we think about the movie that way, it takes out a much darker tone, uh, extremely bleak, extreme kind of bummer. And we don't really know... There's, there's no way out of that movie, the way there is out of the don't be mean to other people, don't play pranks on other people movie. You know, this is a movie that then, if you read it that way, is saying, almost to say, it exists to almost confirm your worst fears, to say, you were scared your whole life that your father, this Christian psychopath who led a mass suicide, was right. And the movie is now saying, you know what, maybe he was. What if he was? What if your whole life, the trauma you ran from, that you were told was irrational, that you medicated away, was actually the truth? What if God is... You know, what if this is this gets into Ingmar Bergman territory? What if God is not angelic? What if God is monstrous? What if God is the spider, the monster god? And he actually wants you to commit these violent acts to prove your worth to him. And I I I I again I don't know if that's necessarily what the filmmakers are going for, but I cannot rationalize that gun not going off without thinking that there's something else happening in this film. And that this idea has stuck with me so much over the last couple of days and maybe appreciate this film so much more that I'm desperately hoping it's true. So that is The Lodge, an excellent movie about trauma and how we cannot understand one another's trauma and potentially the idea that our trauma, the, the greatest fear of us that we, you know, reliving our trauma or that our trauma might actually be validated as real is going to get us in the end. Um, not exactly fun, breezy listening or breezy watching rather, but um, definitely worth a watch if you were snowed in and want to feel miserable about all of existence forever and ever. Amen.